Hello, and welcome to Reflections with Raja, a podcast about finding purpose, storytelling, and navigating life. My name is Raja Butter, and I use they-them pronouns. Join me on this weekly journey as I talk to incredible people living thoughtfully every day. Today, I'm so excited to have a dear friend and someone that I think is doing incredible work in the community, Surya Kalra de Paz, who I have known for almost 15 years, I guess, at this point, and have really um, seen each other through quite a bit of our lives and journeys together. And um, really, I'm excited to learn us so much about the work that you do, but also just how you navigate your values and identities. I think you are someone that I, I believe does that really beautifully and authentically, and I, I really appreciate that. Um, so welcome to Surya. How are you today? Thank you. I'm doing very well. I am, yeah, well-fed today, having used a recipe that you gave me for Thai curry. And yeah, feeling ready to to talk a little bit about how I came about doing what I do. So Yeah. So tell me, what's your story, Surya? You know, it's there's so many stories we have that make us who we are, but I think the story that um, kind of resonates a lot with me was just me coming from a small town in Illinois, 15,000 people, to I, I went to Occidental College in Los Angeles. And, you know, Los Angeles is huge. You know, the county has 10 million people. It's just so it was night and day in terms of what that experience was like. Um, and I remember I... F- I had a very strong interest in getting involved in campus politics, you know, so I would go figure out how it worked and go have a fight with the Dean and, you know, go do things like that. Just kind of like (laughs) bump around and, and figure out how to make things, you know, work. But then it felt very disjointed because I was um, an anthropology major and things felt very theoretical. So I was trying to force my academic life to, to, um, be more engaged. So I would do something called participatory research. And that took me to India and to try different things. But I felt like it was very bifurcated between my academic life and just kind of my campus life. Um, And the more I kind of got involved locally on campus, the more I realized that that's where I got energy was from kind of figuring out how to make an impact on my immediate surroundings. So little by little, I thought, well, what's beyond the, you know, the college boundaries. I live in this huge place and I don't know very much about what happens in the neighborhood around me and Occidental's in Highland Park and um, in Eagle Rock. Um, And it felt very disconnected, you know, from, you know, I felt very disconnected from, from the surrounding community. So I think, you know, that's kind of how I learned more about organizing. There was an organizer that you and I both know well, who was on campus, um, working in the Center for Community-Based Learning. And she was developing relationships with principals and teachers and the schools surrounding the campus. And I thought, oh, this is something really interesting. This is a way for me to actually learn about what's happening and connect in a genuine way. And I thought it would be like maybe like a semester project for me, but it's turned into, you know, that was 2005. It's turned into 15 years of trying to figure out how to connect more in my community. So that's a little bit of the beginning of um, of kind of my story. Um, tell me a little bit about who you are outside of your professional stuff. That's a funny, interesting question. Yeah, who am I outside of my pers- you know professional stuff? Um, well, I am uh, South Asian American. I was born in the United States, um, 
but grew up in, uh, yeah, but grew up kind of learning about my culture, mostly through my parents and through Bollywood in small towns in, <laughs> in rural, you know, um, Illinois. And I married to Rafael Paz, who is a very proud Chilango or Defeño from Mexico City. We have a little, our first baby daughter after 10 years of being married. So her name is Kalyani Mayawel. Baz Kalra, and she's named after all the goddesses we could think of, basically. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's a little bit about me. I like to cook a lot. That's kind of my my number one passion is just cooking. Um, and I like to write, and I like to um, just be silly sometimes with people, and and watch Star Trek with my siblings. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, I, I think we definitely share the love of food. That's been an important part of our relationship in a lot of ways. Absolutely. <laughs> One of the reasons I started this podcast is because um, I was sick of when you go to party, people are like, well, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, okay, we are more than what we do. I think there's a deeper purpose to the, the way yeah. we navigate the world. So I guess, what is your gift to the world? Well, that's an interesting question. I think... Um... One of the things that I've learned through my work, which is more of a vocation, I think, um, and I think it's something I was doing before I, I learned what organizing even was. I didn't even know what the word organizing meant. You know, Obama wasn't president yet, so it wasn't like in vogue, right? Um, but I think I learned that it's important to learn how to be an actor and how to be an agent in your own life. And, you know... Um, that takes practice, right? Many of us grow up being acted upon mm-hmm. a lot or not knowing, you know, I'm even watching my little kid, right, crawl around and I'm trying to stop her all the time from things that are dangerous. But how quickly do we learn what we can't do and what we can do? And mm-hmm. I think that, um, you know, this kind of vocation, um, it can blow up those concepts for you and you can start to really have an impact on what's happening around you and learn how to learn how to act. Um, so I think my, if I have a gift, it would be the more I've learned about this, the better I'm getting at getting at teaching other people how to do this as well. So I kind of see my, my practice of organizing is about teaching. Um, and that means, um, there's no, you know, you don't have to have a college degree to learn how to be a public actor. You don't have to go, um, you know, you don't have to speak English to be a public actor, but you do have to be someone who can think about and analyze what's happening in your life and in those of the lives around you and have an appetite to do something about it. So I think of that as um, part of the training that I have that's now becoming more of a gift or something that I can also teach people how to do, having learned how to do that a little bit myself. Yeah, I love that piece around kind of the... Sh- developing capacity feels like in quite a few different communities. Um, So what would you say something that we can all do to make this world better? You know, I think one thing that I don't know if you've noticed this very much, but it feels, I mean, it's very clear that we're in a very polarized time where it feels difficult to talk to people who may be on the other end of the political spectrum, like almost, you know, like you're violating some kind of oath of loyalty to to some tribe that you're a part of. If you talk to people who aren't like you or don't look like you or don't think like you. And I think that's to our detriment um, because we're a very complicated 
people with different sets of interests that if we're able to really listen hard to what other people's experiences are, um, it will help us figure out a way forward together. And I think that's something important. I mean, for example, it's very easy to vilify people who support Donald Trump. Now, I don't support him at all, right? I think it's a very, um, he's a very dangerous person. Um, and there are a lot of things about uh, the way that he operates that are anti-democratic. But people who support him, not, I'm not saying everybody, but a lot of people have been economically left out of the American dream, quote unquote, right? They've been left behind. Their, their, their little towns and their cities are um, filled with an opioid crisis. There's people desperate. They don't have work. They don't have a sense of, of um, purpose or dignity. And he speaks to that and he plays on people's resentments around that. But what would it look like if we were to talk to people who feel that kind of being left out and re-engage them in a conversation about building a different kind of economy? Um, I think that is worth doing and it's hard because they aren't necessarily, we have preconceptions of who people are, right? Now, clearly there's some people that you just can't get through to and you don't, <laughs> you won't ever be able to, but there are a lot of others, you know, who I think it would be worth thinking about. Um, so it's hard work, but I think it's the basis of practicing politics is to be able to find common interests among people who are very different than ourselves. And if we stop, if we don't do that, then there's this very dangerous place that we're in right now where we're too polarized to even consider talking to people that are not like us. So that might be something. Yeah. Do. Yeah. I, I feel like there's so many different initiatives happening right now and so much pain. Mm -hmm. um, and so in all that, how do we find some shared commitment and community to do the work and, and how do we, you know, I think I've been thinking a lot about, particularly as a as a fellow Desi American, mm -hmm. um, what is my responsibility to kind of do the work so that folks at the ends of the racial spectrum don't have to always think they're the ones either in power mm -hmm. or being oppressed. And so like we have some agency and as being folks that kind of navigate these different spaces. And so yeah. how can we do some of the work? How can we engage in this conversation? How can we start to shift um, the politics? So at least for me, I think about just the number of conservative they see people that I know and so is there ways mm -hmm. for us to be able to start to have a conversation within our communities to say hey we need to actually think about mm -hmm. how is actually impacting people outside of this space well you know what's something that we found really useful is in this kind of time of reckoning that we're in right in a pandemic and things are not like they were before and it's hard to figure out a way forward we've been doing a lot of small group conversations with people across race and income and, you know, all kinds of divisions. And we ask everyone the same question, you know, how has this um, pandemic or this virus impacted you and your family? Um, and you usually when we have these conversations, the person leading it shares their story. So how you're kind of approaching even this conversation, it's very important for people to share a little bit and be calculatedly vulnerable about how they're being impacted. Um, and as we're doing that, you know, you're hearing things that are surprising from people you think would be a well-off person, you know, well-to-do person somewhere. They're saying, listen, my son is home and he's lost all of his income and he's very depressed, right? Or I'm an older person and I can't leave the house for my own food. And that, and that feels, you know, so, so difficult. Or I know someone who had the virus, um, but they couldn't get tested when they needed to. 
And so you start to create an ability for people to, instead of just kind of move past their, um, you know, the, the camps that they already think they're in and really have a story-based exchange around what's happening, which leads itself to some trust and some ability to be curious about others and their, and where they are and how to, how to think about common interests there. So, right. Right. Yeah. That I like the way you said that a calculated vulnerability, that seems like a really important way to think about how do we first kind of reach out in ways that we could, people can actually humanize the conversation mm-hmm. in some ways, mm-hmm. which I think also just given some of the black lives matter organizing and stuff is like, again, like these are people's lives that are being taken. So how do we actually humanize that? This is not just a number on a piece mm-hmm. of paper. Um, but an actual story and and how are we as a community as a as a as a nation at some level actually humanizing everyone that's being impacted by what's happening with covid yeah. with some of the racial injustice and all the other isms that are happening and i think you also named the economic disparities and mm-hmm. the the inequities that is still continue to also disproportionately affects some communities over other communities and all the other stuff that's happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it's right. I mean, it's interesting. Like there's um, a lot of um, Latino communities that we work with too, right? In different churches and clinics and some of their experience, especially if they are undocumented is they have been completely left out of federal relief. There is no federal relief. Um, and so they've been, you know, looking for just, okay, the rent is due. Are they being harassed? Even though we have some minimal protections in California, you know, sometimes they've been illegally locked out of places or they don't know where they can go for help. And um, the more that people are hearing these stories across a a spectrum, you know, of of people who are in the organizing effort, you can't stop, you can't shake those stories, right? It becomes a part of you and your interests that this is wrong, you know, people shouldn't be given charity. They should be given justice. They're the ones who are essential workers. They're a huge part of the food supply chain in restaurants and agriculture and, you know, um, taking care of children, taking care of elderly people. So, I mean, I think that is something that's helping to connect the dots a lot and stories are very powerful because yeah, they don't leave you there. There's something when you hear what's happening to somebody else, um, it's different from just hearing how they politically identify. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, totally. So in all this work, I know you are someone that puts like a million percent into the work that you do. Um, <laughs> what nourishes you? You know, it's nice. Rafael, my husband, um, has been very um, insistent that I don't put a million percent in because it's not good for me to do that. And, it, you know, there comes a time where he's like, no more, you know, no right, more. Right. <laughs> so we have to like, you know, cut back and figure it out. But yeah, I mean, I think recently, you know, going to uh, a park where there aren't a lot of people and you can stay really distant, but like just, you know, feeling the breeze and the sun is just so refreshing. Like my body physically just sighs, you know, and you can just enjoy life. So we t- we're getting little picnics together and we go out now on the weekends and picnic on the weekends and it's just been really nice. Um, so that's been good. And just talking to friends too, like you and my siblings, um, you know, my family, that's also been energizing and, and nourishing. And of course, whenever I have the the opportunity to cook again, you know, or look up recipes, that's just kind of my hobby. So, you know, trying to figure out when I can squeeze it in is nice. Yeah, that's been very nourishing and just hanging out with my baby. I mean, 
she can be she can be very intense, but she's babbling and ba 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 ba, you know, saying all kinds of cute things. And it's nice to be able to be home and watch her grow. Um, I've definitely just appreciated seeing her grow and um, just the curious being that that she is. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. so who inspires you in this work in your life's work? You know, one of the people that has inspired me a lot was actually, I went to India after I graduated college for a year, and there was a couple of people there, but one was somebody named Baba Amte. Have you ever heard of him? He Mm -hmm. was, he's a, he, it was in Maharashtra, and he had a, he started a place called Anandvan, like, you know, a place of happiness, and it I was able to visit it. I had read a little bit about him and a, you know, a little book about him. Um, but he's somebody who um, has figured out how anybody who has kind of been cast off can have a life of dignity, you know, and that involved learning, you know, skills to be able to work. So people who were kind of left out um, of society because of some kind of um, difference, they may have been blind or they may have had, mm. Uh, some kind of disease like leprosy or they had um they have you know any kind of um ailment or something that people think makes them not worth you know investing in he invested in them and you know i visited there and it was amazing to see what people could do what they were accomplishing and that this could be life too and so it's kind of left an image and i mean and he by the time that you know his own back had kind of gone out by this point, you know, and so mm. every morning he likes to take a morning walk at 4 a.m. And his uh, people who were kind of with him would just pick him, pick him, pick his bed up <laughs> and carry him around for his 4 a.m. walk. And if wow. you could wake up at that time, you could go walk with him and talk and learn things. And so I went and visited w- once and I got up at four and just kind of like walked around with him while he was on his bed. <laughs> was just really nice to kind of have somebody who's given like their life to to kind of serving other people just be kind of fresh and ready for for any newcomer who wanted to ask a question i found that very inspiring he passed away recently in the past few years but um Mm. what an inspiration right for someone to to be able to live like that yeah yeah i think that that's definitely something that thinking about some of those folks who have really been able to be bigger than life in some ways. And yes. Um, yeah. And, and the, the, the number of people that they've impacted and, and supported and empowered in so many ways is, is pretty cool. That's right. Yeah. And it's kind of like a little vision of what we could all be doing. Right. I mean, here it's such a contrast here in urban life where you see so many people left out, left behind, mistreated, not disinvested in, but for him to take the people who would otherwise be completely left out of society and to show, show that this could be, this could be a possibility too, I think is something that's, it's a lesson that you can keep learning from and drawing inspiration from. So. That's really cool. Um, Anything else that you're, that's coming to your heart to share today or anything that you, anything you wanted to talk about? Well, I'm just curious about you, Raja, and the work that you do. Um, you have many different parts of who you are that makes you why we all love you so much. And how have you kind of been living into your purpose and your identity um, during this time? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, 
I think for me, I have been thinking a lot about one of my favorite quotes, which is by this guy named Howard Thurman, mm -hmm. who was a mentor of MLK. Yep. Um, incredible. And he also was the dean uh, at B uh, Boston University, which is where I went to school way before my time. But um, that's how I got introduced to Howard Thurman. But he has a quote that says, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive, because what the world needs are people who have come alive. Um, and so I, I think I've been leaning on that more, especially in the last year of really thinking about what are the things that I want to do mm -hmm. that allows me to like stay up till three in the morning doing for the fun of it without feeling like it's a burden. Um, and so do more of that. And so I think for me, um, art has been really important. Um, this podcast has been really important. Mm -hmm. Cooking has been really important. Um, and I think my consulting work, really being able to focus on the big picture and and embedding diversity, equity, and inclusion work within larger systems, uh, rather than simply doing day to day stuff, um, I think has is a gift. And I, the fact that I get to do that, and I get to be able to go to different campuses and help them become better. Um, I think that's kind of been my how I've been able to navigate this whole space. Now that's really nice to think about. I like that idea of what makes you come alive. Um, <laughs> And yeah, where, you know, where you don't have to, where you get kind of lost in the zone, right? You don't have to think about, oh, what do I have to do next? You're kind of in that creative mode. Um, exactly. And that's your art and it's lovely. I mean, I didn't realize you had that talent and it's just, <laughs> looks like it's been, you've been developing that skill. Yeah, no, thank it. It's not at all anything that's form. I didn't know I have it either. And I'm still trying to figure it out. It's just fun to make it and put it out into the world. And, and I think for me, it's been a process of, um, just doing it for me and not feeling like I have to worry about whether it's perfect. And so it's really been a practice in allowing myself to be imperfect. That's nice. We should all strive to be imperfect. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, this has been beautiful. I, I, I always appreciate your voice and, and the way you engage in this world. And it's been fun to learn a little bit more about your professional, because I don't think we often talk about that when we hang out. Um, right, yeah. But um, I am so excited to hear all the great work that you're doing. Best of luck with everything. Um, and we will keep in touch. Um, for those of you that are still listening, I have had the amazing opportunity to connect with the community organizer, Surya Colorado de Paz, uh, who's doing some great work in the LA area uh, and someone that I value as a, a wise soul. Um, in this work. And so thank you for your work. Thank you for showing up the way you do and uh, find some, hopefully you find some good recipes in the next couple of weeks. I hope so. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of Reflections with Raja. Check out more episodes on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many other spaces. Check out www.rajabutter.com for more information. Today's episode featured music by a band called Ketza and their song Crescents. Talk to you next time.